the chip. Bunbury goes to ground. Here's Mukhtar. Scores. Mukhtar magic in front of the Music City frenzy. Nashville opens with what Dax McCarty labeled the best half of the season, but it isn't enough to secure all three points. A 1-1 draw after an equalizer from Denis Buanga. You just heard Hani Mukhtar's opener, courtesy of 104.5 The Zone. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for from two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. Stumbled over that for the first time in like two months, Tim. Um, <laughs> guess, guess i got to start a new win streak next week. Yeah, uh, you, much like Nashville SC, looking for that for that win streak to get underway. I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, the namesake of this podcast, uh, where I cover Nashville Soccer Club on the internet. Did I say my name? If not, I'm Wes Bowling. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good to, <laughs> good to talk at you. Uh, Tim, I, th- it, I think we would most, most of us would say it's a deserved result for Nashville, given the dominance LAFC showed in the second half, but I can understand frustration in not getting that second or even that third goal in the first half when the boys in gold were playing cohesive attacking soccer. And they were a couple near misses away from a multi-goal lead that I think probably would have given them all three points. Yeah. The honey miss uh, with that left foot stinks because it would have been uh, a goal of the week style goal. In addition to, to just being kind of sick to, to see it happen as well. <laughs> Uh, I guess the silver lining there is, is he doesn't miss that one much. Like if he gets in that position again, you you can peg him to to hit it. And if he's rounding into form where he does get himself into those sorts of positions where he is creating those sorts of chances, this attack uh, may, be, may be ready to wake up a little bit. And I know that's going to be a, a topic of much discussion this week. Yeah. I had to do some rewatching, by the way, of this because I was watching it in real time from a shipping container in the Oregons of uh, in the mountains of Oregon in the Oregons of mountains. Weren't we also. all Wes? Weren't we? I all? mean, that is the prime place to watch Nashville SC for sure. It's <laughs> working at a consumer event in, uh, in Mount bachelor. For those of you who've ever been, it's a great spot, great spot to take your Nokian tires, free shout kind of um, pay mm-hmm. shout. Cause it's my day job. Uh, but, but after rewatching, I think I'm invigorated by the way this team played in the first half against LAFC. It seemed to me that, that Gary Smith knew he was probably not going to shut out LAFC. This team was going to need goals. Encouraging first half. And then you saw LAFC kind of come into its own. Carlos Vela comes in. This team shows the, the class for which it's known. What is your prevailing sentiment? Are you more encouraged because of the first half performance? Discouraged or disappointed because of the inability to close things out? Which way would you lean on that uh, on that paradigm? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's steady for where I think this team has been performing already this year. Um, keep in mind, this LAFC team hasn't lost this year. So while NSC did settle for a draw in an extremely frustrating way, it's not like they lost ground against anyone else other than LAFC, I guess, or that they performed below average. So I think um, I would lean towards the positive, and I know that's going to stun regular listeners that <laughs> were a little bit more optimistic than some Shocking. people, but... I, I would lean towards the positive a little bit. The way it played out is obviously going to going to sting for a, a while. Well, I think we are, of course, the two things can be true podcasts. In addition to being the small sample size podcast, I think it's completely fair to call this result good. I think you have to call this result good. LAFC coming to town, you draw what I think might be the most talented team in Major League Soccer, that perhaps future future continental champions. And the other thing is, is also true that it's okay to say, look, that's two or three good performances now in recent weeks. It's time for a great one. It's time for this team, especially after drawing a, 
Toronto team at home that they probably should have beaten after losing to Cincinnati at home after losing on the road at NYC. It's time for a great performance, Tim. And we haven't seen one from this team now in just a little while. Yeah. And it's, it's been a situation where, you know, yeah, you, you would expect this team to start rounding into form. Like I said, Hani Mukhtar appears to be rounding into form. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a situation where, you know, if one thing isn't going right, uh, maybe something else will. And, um, if something isn't going wrong, maybe something else will. So um, finding their level and, and maintaining some sort of consistency as we move forward. And, uh, and hopefully, obviously, some some positive consistency is, is the next step. True or false question time here. We all know, of course, that Walker Zimmerman played the midweek friendly between the U.S. and Mexico, uh, a cash grab friendly, I would say, you know, just to try to drum up some awareness during a quiet time for both national teams. If that cash grab friendly doesn't happen, I think we'd agree, of course, Walker's going to go 90 minutes for Nashville. He's on a minutes limit as a result of playing in midweek. Here's the question. True or false? If Walker is able to go 90 minutes, Nashville wins. True. Absolutely true. Uh, the equalizer hinged on a single play two minutes after he was subbed off. I mean, even if that situation arose like three or four minutes later when Jack Mayer and Dan Lovitz had established a little bit more chemistry, had obviously they trained that they knew that Walker was going to be on a, a minutes restriction, or I assume so. I didn't ask Gary specifically that question, but he mm-hmm. he, he seemed to have it all, all kind of planned out. But um, if they had established a bit more chemistry in the game, I don't even think the goal would have happened mm-hmm. if the exact same turnover had happened at midfield I think they would have been able to snuff it out so if you don't even assume that Walker is subbed off yeah that, that goal certainly doesn't happen and who knows butterfly effect if, if a different goal would have happened some other way but, sure. but I do think that that one wouldn't have happened it was always going to be hard to to blank this team for sure but you did see the drop in defensive quality as soon as Walker went out which of course you would you would expect and I think it points once again to a lack of, of center back depth but also to how challenging it can be to, to re-scramble, reshuffle the deck. You're not used to taking a center back out. Uh, certainly not one of that caliber. Uh, in the early shout today, we're going to get into the, the eye-popping stat. Many of you have shared, actually, one we discussed on the show last week and go a little deeper into what happens when Nashville concedes. And the answer is they don't win very often. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, then a great interview as we're getting ready for U.S. Open Cup action. NSC and San Antonio Wednesday night at Geodis Park. Tickets available for that. John Morrissey joins us. He is a sickos, sickos follow. He's great. Or if you're new to the game uh, or new to, you know, American pro soccer, either way, a great follow. He runs the account USL Tactics and really goes deep into why USL teams are doing what they're doing, how those things work out. I know we don't really reside in USL circles like we used to, but when you're getting ready for the Open Cup and you're talking about a USL championship team, then it's time to talk about what San Antonio does well, the kind of threat that they will bring as an upper echelon team in American second tier soccer. In the mailbag, how should Nashville approach the next few days? Of course, the transfer window closing as we are speaking now will be closed by the time you listen to this. Uh, But also, of course, U.S. Open Cup, Atlanta coming to town. What's the priority here? And then we'll go with a launch pad, a seven-goal thriller in South Florida. Huntsville looked like it might earn its first 90-minute win. They did not, and we'll get into that just a little bit. First, Tim, ML Rose. I had a a really good ML Rose experience uh, recently. I mentioned last week I'm officiating a wedding coming up, and uh, I was going to pick up my suit, and I followed through on my promise on the show. I picked up ML Rose uh, on the drive home. And I had the chicken sandwich for the first time, the fried chicken sandwich. Man, it was good. Yeah, man, uh, we, we talk about this, <laughs> I feel like, every other week. I'm not a huge red meat guy a, a lot of the time. So the fact that they have a bunch of stuff 
you know, I, had, I don't go all the way to to the spec, the end of the spectrum of, uh, say, for example, our good friend uh, Logan Elliott, who does not eat meat at all. But um, you know, the fact that there are options for for people who who maintain a vegetarian lifestyle, for people who maintain a, a light on the red meat lifestyle. Um, but most importantly, Wes, how was how was this chicken sandwich? It was fantastic, crunchy, crispy. It had a, a slaw on it too, which I'm not a big slaw guy by itself, but on something is a compliment outstanding the sauce on it was tremendous of course got the waffle fries as well uh, to eat and i actually this was interesting too i ate it on the drive home which i wouldn't recommend with a lot of chicken sandwiches around town or a lot of sandwiches in general it can be a little dangerous for your you know khakis or for your driving or in this <laughs> yeah, case for the for the pedestrians of, of greater nashville <laughs> there is that there is that the, the the great thing was this was a self-contained chicken sandwich it was very very good it was full of toppings ingredients but it stayed in its footprint, if you know what I mean. It didn't spill all over the car. So it was a balance of great taste, but also something you could presumably eat in the car if you're trying to get home to you know, beat your kids' nap time, wake up time to, to be dad. Uh, still going to be better, though, in person at the bar with about three beers that I did not drink since I was driving home. Yeah, uh, you know. The the food at the at ML Rose is, is always elite, but uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily always hit the same if you aren't in the atmosphere there that <laughs> that uh that makes it such a a great place to visit and uh to watch Nashville soccer club games. It is doable though, and I can speak to that now. That was my first ever driving experience with the Melrose, and uh, <laughs> it was good. It, again, it, you know, don't get the ambiance, but um, it was still quite tasty. Melrose Eighth Avenue location, the place to be. Uh, and before or after an afternoon game Saturday, 1230 kickoff against Atlanta United. So an opportunity to choose your your own adventure there uh, or just don't choose. Just do both. Go there before. Go there after. Let's get into our early shout. Here's Dennis Boanga sprinting into the attacking third towards the Nashville box. Dennis Boanga scores. A rocket off of the right foot of the 27-year-old Dennis Boanga has tied the score. 104.5 The Zone brings you the equalizing goal from LAFC. Is Nashville led possession, Tim, against uh, the re- reigning MLS Cup champs. Nashville was the better team for the first 45 minutes. And then LAFC happened. 13 second half shots, including that equalizer from Bowanga. I don't think it's fair to say that NSC sat back in the second half. Though. They played for that second goal. And I guess, as I referenced a little earlier, it's probably because they knew. They weren't going to shut these guys out. But it was refreshing because we've seen so often Nashville score and then sit back and then concede late and they don't have the bodies or the spirit to go get the winner. In this case, I thought they did what they needed to do. It just didn't work out. Yeah, they certainly didn't play scared, right? They defended high up the field for much of the game. And even though LAFC does have the players to get through that, whether on the dribble or through through really uh, tiki-taka style passing, Nashville didn't sit back and say, okay, we're, you've done that to us a couple times and now we're going to be scared of it. Um, when you look at how the equalizer happened, I think it's telling that it came in a transition moment after a turnover. It wasn't necessarily a classic LAFC style goal, although under Steve Trundolo, they're very willing to play possession or take advantage of transition moments. But mm-hmm. I think you look at um, that Nashville was ready to come out and win and we have seen in the past this team is more willing to play that way at home. I would say they they did not do that through the first few home games this season. Maybe we're seeing a change that will allow them to, uh, when the opponent is not LAFC, run up the score a little bit on somebody. The tactics were were fun for this one. Playing a 4-4-2 diamond 
and and playing, you know, trying trying to win those battles in the middle of the field, right? To to turn LAFC over to disrupt, and then using your your uh, fullbacks as wingbacks at times to to get up the up the flank, up the field. Did you like the diamond look? Do you think it put Nashville in a good place? And I guess more importantly, is it something we think they'll replicate in the future? Yeah, it's always nice to have another club in the bag, right? I don't think it necessarily is is the number one strength of this team's personnel, which is why you don't see it very frequently. But it is a situation that if you want to play differently, you need to be able to come out and, and execute that. And the one thing you're never going to accuse a Gary Smith team of doing is being unready to execute. They managed to come out and do it. And um, it will be something that they can use situationally. It's it's not going to become like a core to the identity of yeah. this team by any stretch. I, I liked it. They've done it before. They've, they've run the diamond before, definitely mm-hmm. in a vast minority of games. What I like is on the back end having somebody like Dax McCarty at the at the back of that, right? To pick passes, to help guard and shield the the back line, especially in a match where you know Walker's not going to go the whole way. Uh, I liked that a lot. I think it, it gives Nashville, uh, like you said, the extra club in the bag, but also the ability to win some of those midfield battles with some numbers there uh, and, and be more narrow than perhaps they've been able to do as well as they have in past years, the dual percentage not being quite what it is. I, I enjoyed it too. I, I thought it was a good look. Uh, and especially with Aranda Leal, who can play at the tip of that diamond and then move Hani up to be alongside a fellow striker, I think then that's a that's a tool they should absolutely employ again where it makes sense uh, against an opponent. Maybe it's maybe it's something you even do against a Philadelphia to match their diamond shape, and then it's just a, a one nil or nil nil slugfest. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I thought it was in this case the way it was employed a pretty aggressive look that I I very much uh, enjoyed, uh, but it is a three match winless streak yeah. now for this team. Uh, winless in their last three at home as well product against LAFC. I think we'd agree better than it was against Cincinnati against Toronto. Did Nashville rise to the level of its competition? Were they taking advantage of a decently rotated LAFC side or is this team improving? Are we seeing signs of, of some progress, especially in the attack? Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, Surely we have a phrase for three three data points being indicative of a, of some sort of trend, especially when when we're looking at the <laughs> one uh, outlier being a, a sign of change. But I think the Toronto game was a dud all around. Both teams came out and, and played to draw. Neither team played to win. It showed. I think this game was probably more similar to the Cincinnati game than it feels because Nashville did not convert on that goal in the Cincinnati game, but they did win the XG battle against Cincinnati. Um, The the goal that they gave up against Cincinnati was kind of similar to this LAFC one. It was a transition moment that was kind of unlucky, um, kind of an execution error um, with the backline stepping up to a, a dribbling player. Obviously, it was the rebound against Cincinnati. Um, Buanga, it will shock you to learn, finished it himself <laughs> on <laughs> Saturday night against LAFC. But I think the big picture in terms of whether Nashville SC has improved since that Cincinnati game is, first of all, how you consider the factors of luck, which we we often do. And that's, you know, from whence comes the small sample size mantra, but also how much better than Cincinnati you think LAFC is. most people are going to agree that LAFC is a better team and therefore getting a better result against a better team could be a sign of improvement. But Cincinnati is is the real deal this year so far. Mm -hmm. I think Nashville is going to head up to the Queen City later this summer with designs on on getting revenge for that one. But they're a really good team. And I think um, other than the Toronto game, this winless streak at home is a little bit less dour than it kind of feels. Yeah, it feels like this team is treading water rather than swimming against the waves. And the waves are a little harsher now than they will be at other points this year when you have a stretch like Nashville has had going to a tough NYC team, or at least in a tough 
on a tough pitch, LAFC, Atlanta with a with a midweek match. Uh, it's not an easy stretch. And I think we're seeing the team tread water and hanging, you know, hanging around around their potential. And and now we'll see if they can swim forward and exceed it as the schedule gets a bit easier later in the year. Right now, if they have to tread water, you just kind of hope that that something's coming. Uh, so, some better days are coming. And and maybe they are for Hani Mukhtar. Scored his third goal of the season, second in as many matches. That's three goals in his first nine. Not eye-popping, but remember last year, 23 goals over the course of the season. To this point last year, nine games in, he just had two, and it was in one game against San Jose. From there, he got streaky, and streaky in a good way. All but two of his 23 goals last year came during scoring streaks. He didn't have a single match after that San Jose breaks where he scored and then didn't score the next time. Wait, that that's terrible. That's a bad way to put it. You know what I mean? It was it, he scored during streaks. He scored in. He scored in multiple. He didn't have an isolated. There you go. He didn't yeah. have an isolated game. He scored in multiple games in a row every time he scored from from there on out. And he's on the scoring streak now. And, and you wonder and you hope, Tim, if you're a Nashville SC supporter, that that the streak is going to also result in in stronger run of form for this team. Yeah, I mean this this was always going to happen. It felt like it was always going to happen, and and then you pointed out the stats that that uh, <laughs> indicate that it was even more likely than it felt. This dude's an elite goal scorer, and and even if he starts season slowly, which you know, kind of all four years so far, maybe it's something that they should consider preseason uh, how how to prepare him for the year. Although this season, you know, starting the year injured is a little bit different, but uh, once he gets going, he goes, and he doesn't uh, take a whole lot of time off in between. So it's something that. Nashville is going to hope is is you know indicative of of not just a, a a scoring streak that that we have seen happen, but that it continues to happen going forward too. And the best asset he provides, besides the goals themselves, of course, the ability to draw multiple defenders in. And what Nashville didn't have last year was just that one other guy who they could trust to put the ball in the back of the net when Hani was triple teamed. And this year, I think we see that guy potentially being there. I think a Fafa Pico could be that guy. I think even a Jacob Schaffelberg we saw. Of course, a couple of mirror image goals early in the year with him being that guy. And I think Nashville has players who can step up. You'd love it if they were at striker, uh, though, as well. You mentioned he doesn't take a lot of time off in scoring. Max McCarty hasn't taken a lot of time off in his career. 400 starts for the captain as of last weekend. Huge milestone for a guy who deserved all kinds of love for what he's done in his career. Yeah, every time we we make note of a, a DAC stat that implies some sort of age uh <laughs> high age we have to give the disclaimer that we are both older than him but um yeah. and happy birthday to yeah. him later this week i don't remember the order of operations saturday was his his younger son owen's birthday his uh, older son callum had a birthday earlier in the week so it must be dax's birthday the, the 30th then um this is thrilling radio i'm sure but but either way what were you gonna say what? april okay, 30th. this is a, april 30th yeah. Yeah. look at me go he is um, one <laughs> he is one day older than my sister Shouts to her. <laughs> I, I was impressed in the post game how much perspective he had in terms of being a guy who's willing to fit in as a squad player rather than a first choice guy. I, Dax is is very media aware and always knows um kind of how to give the coach speak answer, but he's also you can also tell when he's being a little bit more um you know bearing his emotions, bearing his his soul a little bit, and he was that in post game. He was honest that he's not necessarily happy to be at a stage in his career where he sat on 399 starts for three games in a row and, and entered as a sub instead of getting that, that 400th MLS mm-hmm. start. But from a team perspective, 
he's willing to do it. He said that he was he understood before this season that it was time for him to give up the the full time captaincy to Walker Zimmerman. Um, and then you know at, during his press conference in the post game too, our, our good friend Claudio Villalobos asked him a fairly direct question about retirement, and uh, Dax answered that very earnestly. And he sat, definitely sounded much closer to the end than he did when we asked him a version of that yeah. question when he was one of the first guests on the podcast. I think, you know, I don't necessarily think or know that this is his last season but he sees the light at the end of the tunnel in a mm-hmm. way that he didn't when we asked him a couple of years ago so it is something to keep in mind that um, 400 400 starts is an impressive mark and um it probably won't get to 500 <laughs> i guess but this is the guy who is going to go down as a major league soccer legend absolutely he is yeah the, the language he used with us back in 2021 when he spoke with us he said you know the the day that i watch myself on film and don't like what i see and embarrassed by what i see um maybe embarrassed is a strong word there but but basically that's that's when he would hang it up it's when he doesn't recognize himself in his playing style i think we see many moments and saw a ton last year of him looking like his old self right and and picking passes that were beautiful i think of the famous you know sexy pass line from jamie watson on one of those counterattack assists and i think we all hope that that dax can extend the legs and keep going but um, would agree. Certainly sounds closer to the end than he did uh, a couple years ago. I guess by definition, that is the case, regardless of. Yeah, I was going to say if you if you call me out on the tautology <laughs> of that, I'm going to be real mad. But the uh, the emotion of it, it seemed much more yeah. uh, raw and yeah, yeah. and, and uh, revealing. His near twin, my sister, by the way, just starred on Pirates of Penzance with the Nashville Opera. The only position that uh, Dax McCarty has not played on the soccer field is base. Um, <laughs> he's more, of a, more of a more of a tenor, really. Uh, moving on to our, our gold nuggets, and, and we're going to go back to the stat that has been discussed a good bit, <clears throat> excuse me, here lately, and Stashville brought it up again. The last 18 times that Nashville's conceded a goal, it's only won one of those matches. Digging into the stat just a little bit more, the aggregate score in those matches, 28-20 in favor of Nashville's opponents. So when Nashville does concede, it's conceding on average, what, one and a half times in those games. Uh, still often to usually scoring as well, but but still not not getting the uh, the victories. And and this year, um, they're if if they're giving up goals, they're not scoring except for this past game against LAFC. The record in those games in which they've conceded one nine and eight nine losses, eight draws. And Stashville says for over half a season now, the only hope for three points has been a clean sheet with zero margin for error. At what point is it no longer a small sample size? At what point should they be held? accountable okay (laughs) if you're filtering games for the opponent scores of course the record is not going to be elite because scoring is how you get get points and and win games this this that it requires ignoring that in the same stretch nashville also shut out opponents 10 times so if you take off the filter the the points per game over that stretch is 1.4 this is not elite but it is solidly playoff level performance and that's despite including an anomalously bad stretch in the late stages of last season, um, shortly after the heartbreak in the U.S. Open Cup against Orlando, they went 1-4-4, four, and four, uh, which is the worst stretch, I believe, since the uh, second year for this, or first year, excuse me, I don't even remember, <laughs> whatever, they went, they went seven without a win at some point. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but um, I, I just, I mean, I, I understand that, that if they score if the opponent scores that that Nashville is less likely to win, but that's, that's, that's what scoring is. Right? <laughs> um, I just reject the premise of filtering down to games where a bad thing happened and then being surprised when, when the results of that bad thing are, are bad results. It's, 
it's obviously not great. You would love to have a team that is scoring more goals. You would love to have a team that is getting more shutouts, but this team gets a ton of shutouts and and you can't just kind Mm -hmm. of ignore that and say, okay, they're bad because if they aren't doing this thing, that's really elite, the result is bad. So uh, it's, it's, yes, it's, it's frustrating that the team isn't better, but I don't know that that stat necessarily uh, is, is one that, that says a ton about, about any sort of specific characteristic of it. It doesn't tell the full story for sure. But you can understand where it plays into, you know, the yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I understand. I understand that fans are frustrated that the team yeah. isn't scoring enough and that the record is is not good enough. And I, I, I don't think anybody would would sit in front of this microphone. Thank you for 40 sports and say that <laughs> that Nashville SC has performed the way everybody thought they would this year performed as at as high of a level. But if the opponent scores, the opponent is more likely to at least to draw you. That's that's like definition. Yeah, yeah. This tautology brought up for the second time in three minutes here, but it's, it's a tautological argument. I definitely think it's fair to point out the misleading nature of the stat while also acknowledging that it does show some some degree of of concern that matches the angst of the of the fan base that when there's a first goal for Nashville SC, there's usually not a second that would that would dim the effects of conceding one. Um well, they, they've won they've won three times this year and all of them. They have scored multiple that's true. goals. So that's the true. margin for error error was not zero. There. No, that's fair. That's totally fair and, and valid to point out. And I continue to think that as Hani turns a goal every three games into a goal every 1.5 or two games, as, as I think we would expect him to do, that's obviously going to increase that margin for error. There are going to be more multi-goal performances. And, and the return of Randall Leal should make a big difference there as well. Gary Smith, by the way, saying here this week that that – U.S. Open Cup time might be a little bit too soon mm-hmm. to see Randall Leal. That was a, a setback, he said. Yeah. yeah, that was a target, but it sounds like that's not going to be a reality, unfortunately, uh, just yet. But speaking of U.S. Open Cup, Tim had a great conversation with John Morrissey, uh, again, the uh, proprietor, to use Tim's favorite word, of the USL Tactics Twitter account. Strong tactical analysis from John from Second Tier Soccer and good perspective about what the boys in gold are going to be up against when San Antonio comes to Jodas Park. Here's Tim's interview with John. John Morrissey is the foremost stats and tactics guy when it comes to USL Championship. He's a contributor to the USL Show podcast and to Backhield, and he joins us to get a look at Nashville SC's next opponent, San Antonio FC. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. I mean, love the Open Cup, love talking USL, so really excited to be here. Yeah, so let's let's get right into uh, Nashville SC's next opponent, which is, as I mentioned, San Antonio FC. This is a club that um, has had a, a pretty strong run in, in the years of uh, USL since Nashville left the league. Um, in 2020, they won their group in the in the kind of weird structure, but lost in the first round of the playoffs. But in the past couple of years, they uh, they were finished second in their division in 2021, lost in the Western Conference Final on penalties. Last year, they just dominated the West, won it by 17 points. They won all of their playoff games by multiple goals en route to USL Cup. What I, I guess so far this year, they aren't quite up to that level of the past couple of years. Uh, they're three, one and three, fourth in the West so far. Is this team is has this team taken a step back this year? Is it early enough that they are expected to kind of rebound and be that same sort of elite squad that they've been the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, you hear it a lot of the time when a team comes out of the gate slowly, but I think mm-hmm. it's uniquely true with San Antonio that they've been very injured so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Dillon, who's probably their most reliable striker, hasn't been in the squad pretty much at all. I think he's made one appearance. Uh, Mitchell Tainter, the defending defender of the year in the USL, 
has missed the last couple of games. They took an interesting approach with their roster build in the first place. I think they only had maybe 16 or 17 uh, outfield players in the entire roster when the season started. And slowly but surely, they've been bringing in a lot of loanies from MLS clubs to fill in the gaps. And some of those players have hit the ground running. But I think no matter what, it's going to take time to get all of those fresh faces used to the style, the tactical approach that they're bringing. So... Uh, when we're talking probably when it comes to playoff time, I think San Antonio is going to be the same level of threat that they were when they went on that magical run at the end of last season. But for now, they're a little bit weaker than you might expect. Mm-hmm. So I guess when we look at, um, you know, where where they have been and where they are now, is this a team that has the squad depth to to focus on U.S. Open Cup? Is that something that they're going to, you know, come to Nashville on on Wednesday and say, we're, we're going to give this our all, or are they kind of going to say we need to, to, to make sure we have enough healthy bodies for the regular season? Yeah. I mean, the first time out their last game in the open, they pretty much went with an Academy team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put in some players late on to get a squeak by with a two to one win. It seems to me that they're going to go a little bit more all out with this game. Okay. Um, they were pretty aggressive substituting early in their game against um Phoenix rising at the weekend and uh, the fact that Phoenix went down a man after about 60 minutes helped out that approach. Mm -hmm. So it feels like that they're really going to commit to this. They've also got Las Vegas uh, next weekend who is one of the weaker teams in the USL Mm -hmm. so they can afford to rest some players in that sense. So I think they're pretty much going to go with that first choice lineup to really try to make a run in this tournament. Mm-hmm. You mentioned their their second round uh, U.S. Open Cup match, which was their first um, game in the in the tournament. Always very confusing about which which, which levels <laughs> enter the tournament at which at which stages. But they beat club. I don't know if it's Club de Leon or Club Club de Lion because uh, they they are a Florida based club, right. so I believe it could just be Lion. But um, that's a Nisa squad, a, a first year Nisa squad, uh, second year of their existence. You mentioned that it was that it was not their strongest lineup. I, I in my notes I wrote looks like mostly a reserve lineup. Um, I believe it took them until extra time though to to get that victory. What was that game like for them? Yeah, I mean we both said it now, but it really was a lineup of yeah. seventeen, eight year, eighteen year olds. I think only one player in the squad uh, mm-hmm. in terms of that starting eleven had had any experience in a professional game. So you didn't necessarily get that kind of hard-nosed, well-drilled mm-hmm. defending that you would expect from San Antonio, <laughs> but they did enough to get over the line. And I think that was really what mattered for uh, Coach Alan Marcina at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about the roster. You've mentioned some of their guys, m- mostly by noting the guys who have, who have been missing time, including uh, Mitchell Tanner. Um, I think the one, if Nashville SC fans still follow USL at all, the one guy that is, is going to be a familiar name is Christian Pirano. Uh, the Argentine attacking midfielder who uh, I believe was was sold overseas and then came back on loan at the end of last year, now is back with the club and entirely. What sort of um, game does he bring to the to the uh, to the squad and and what has made him uh, so important over the past uh, stints that he has had in San Antonio? And and I know his his stats haven't really been huge so far this year is the expectation that he will get back to being kind of the assist machine that he has been historically. Yeah. San Antonio stylistically is very much a team that's going to hold 40% or less of the ball, Mm -hmm. but they're going to hit you very hard and very direct in transition. 
And because of that, they have typically leaned into those physical strikers uh, forwards who are very fast and can glom onto those second ball opportunities in a really high tempo sort of game. And Pirano is the counterweight to all of that. He's the player that if they do settle into the final third, has the ability to dribble past you with the ball at his feet. Uh, He's very good at drawing fouls, very good on set pieces. And as you mentioned, he's an assist guy. He's got the vision to play those passes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's another player who started the season injured, but as he's gotten rolling, you're really seeing the flashes that even though he hasn't recorded assist uh, yet this year, the passes he plays, the attention that he demands from opposing defenses is something that constantly opens up space for his teammates. So he's definitely the man to watch. And just to add a quick note there, uh, in the past week, San Antonio formally announced the signing of Jorge Hernandez, a former LA Galaxy, LA Galaxy 2 player. Uh, He was all league in the USL in 2021. And he's kind of Piranha light with that same skill set. He just got his first minutes for San Antonio as a substitute at the weekend. And I mean, I don't have any intel on this, but it seems to me that he <laughs> might get his full debut uh, in the Open Cup. So that would be mm-hmm. something to watch for as well in that same vein. Yeah, so Pirano is the guy, if there are any USL heads, they're going to recognize that name. I think something that's pretty notable for people who aren't huge USL followers, there's a lot of of MLS, either loanies, like you mentioned previously, or just former uh, MLS players on this team, uh, winger Nico Hansen formerly of the crew, Dynamo, Minnesota United. Uh, Eric Hurtado is, is probably the big name. I believe he's only on a short-term contract, though. Is that right? Yeah, 25-day yeah, deal. Um, yeah, and then Ja'Cory Hayes, uh, former FC Dallas, Minnesota United. Are those guys, um, you know, are they... I, I don't want to say do they look like fish out of water because that's that's kind of insulting to USL. But do they do they look the part? Do they look like they're the guys who are going to be able to come in and and help this team level up to where it has been over the past few years? Yeah, I mean, just to go blow by blow, I think mm-hmm. Hayes was someone who I had pretty high expectations for in that central midfield role, mm-hmm. and he honestly didn't look up to the pace in the early weeks. Right. Um, he came in as kind of this patchwork injury substitute kind of player, and he did an admirable enough job. He's not first choice at the moment, though he could get some time in the Open Cup because he does have that talent to compete, yeah. at least on the lower end of the MLS level. Um, Hurtado has been someone who's been a late game sub, just give you a little bit of a different flavor in the forward line. But again, not blowing me away per se for someone with the resume like his, but doing a fine job as well. Uh, Hansen's been the one who's really stood out and he's one of very few players of these MLS editions that has been with the team since the preseason. Okay. Uh, I think he has the ability to sort of carve between those hold up forwards and someone more skillful, like a Pirano. Uh, he's very quick. He's very good in transition, but he can do some things with the ball, uh, which makes him useful in this team. So he's someone to watch for in terms of the guys that an MLS fan might be a little bit more familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned that this is the sort of team that that is very content to have 40% of the ball and hit on the counter. And uh, I think Nashville fans broke out in hives <laughs> because that that's the sort of team that, that they've historically been in. And it, it gives Nashville trouble to come up against a team with a similar style. But looking at the defense, um, Lamar Batista has has been on the team of the week twice already this season. Um, first week, I think it, it was it was wild that he wasn't, <laughs> wasn't player of the week because he, he yeah. had a brace from the defensive line. Um, what does he bring? What makes him uh, the the center back that he is, I guess, at this stage? 
Yeah, um, he's very rangy, very long yeah. gait, and it allows him to defend well against transition opportunities to cover behind the wing backs when somebody plays the ball into the channels. At the same time, he's got the physicality to shoulder any forward off of the ball at this level. Mm-hmm. Uh, he fits right in with that kind of no sense, nonsense level of passing that you want from a San Antonio defender. He's very willing to just lump it forward, but he does so with enough precision that you feel like you're getting something out of it rather than just clearing danger for the sake of clearing danger. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that opening week brace. He's good on set pieces, and that's valuable, especially in a one-off Open Cup game where one corner, one free kick can completely change the way that the match is going. So, I mean, I, I do have that team of the year ballot, and if I was writing it right now, he would be on it. I think he's really been an excellent addition for this team. Mm-hmm. And then one other player who who has gotten some individual accolades already this year, uh, week three player of the week, goalkeeper Jordan Farr. I believe he is one of the uh, few players who's played every league minute so far. He did not play in the Open Cup match previously. What sort of keeper is he? Is he, you know, a guy who's going to want to um, get out of his, get off of his line and, and go disrupt play? Or is he a guy who's sitting back there and saying, let's let this uh, talented back line in front of me um, make the shots easier to corral? Yeah, he is someone who's going to stick on his line. But <laughs> when he's there, he, yeah, <laughs> he barely lets anything pass. Um, if you talk to pretty much anyone who's pretty familiar with the USL, it's consensus that he is the best goalkeeper in the mm-hmm. league. There was some surprise that he didn't get a look in MLS just because he's American and wouldn't take up that international slot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's in the 90th percentile or something for goal saved above average again already this year. Having him as that backstop when San Antonio does get beat at the back has been invaluable for this team. And I think he's really unsung in the importance that he has within the broader system that this team brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And then um, I know this has, has historically been a team that is, is somewhat tactically flexible. It looks like this year it's been pretty much exclusively um, odd back line, you know, either a back three or back five so far this year. So how do they implement that? Is it, um, again, is it, is it sort of the, this classic Gary Smith where we are going to defend and defend and defend? And if we, if we manage to, to get lucky on a set piece or a counter, we'll, we'll take it. But is that the sort of uh, expectation that Nashville fans should have? seeing this team come into Geodis Park? Yeah, absolutely. Um, typically more of a back three than a five. I think okay. you've got a little bit of a gumption, a little bit of a box-to-box aspect okay. with what the wingbacks are doing. Um, San Antonio, at least in this Phoenix game, when they were up a man, and in games where they are a little bit more willing to hold on to the ball, you'll see a lot of carriage from those wider center backs. They're willing, especially Tainter, if he's healthy, is willing to carry the ball into the other team's half and create those overloads, do a little bit of something-something to break up the monotony of an otherwise kind of by-the-numbers attack that is less effective in settled Mm -hmm. phases of play. But yeah, I would definitely characterize them as a team that is more than willing to sit back with a flat line of five and two defensive midfielders and dare you to beat them. Mm -hmm. So... What is it going to take if if San Antonio FC is going to come into Geodis Park and, and advance in the U.S. Open Cup? What is kind of their path for victory to to beat a uh, major league soccer team like Nashville? Yeah, I mean, it's absorbing pressure. Mm-hmm. It's trusting the fact that against the team, let's be real, that's more talented, more technically able, that you're going to be able to let them have the ball, hold off what they're doing, hit them on the counter. I think... Conversely, the nightmare scenario is giving up an early goal. 
San Antonio, when they do lose in the USL, tends to give up a goal early and can never quite get back into the game. I think they're a team that often sells out too fully and trying to come back and get sloppy in defense because of that. So the longer that this game stays even, the longer that they can keep a level of parity, the more likely they are to grind out that one nothing result that is kind of the backbone of what they do and what they're gunning for. And then if if Nashville's to to do what to be to honest is the expected, what are the weaknesses in San Antonio that you think would be most exploited by them in, in getting that result? Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about the injury trouble that San Antonio has mm-hmm. had specifically given how aggressive they are pressing the ball, uh, even within their own third, they close you down very, very, very hard. They've been a bit mistake prone because they don't have that same level of chemistry. I'm thinking about in those channels between uh, the wing backs and those wide center backs, they can be a little bit weak if both of the central midfielders or rather the uh, members of that double pivot are mm-hmm. over committing in that same sort of area you can leave space in the middle and that causes really poor rotations for the team in a way that's been unique and you haven't seen much of in the past from San Antonio. So build patiently enough, keep the ball in the final third. And because of just the fresh faces that are abounding in this team, I think you can go down a mistake that changes the face of the game. And then um, obviously, you know, they're a team that, that typically plays in front of you know seven to ten thousand playing in front of most likely it's a midweek crowd so it won't be all thirty thousand but have they historically been a good road team have they have they struggled a little bit more when that there's a hostile crowd what has their um especially recently their their uh, ability to go on the road been like well last season it was actually rather unique i think they were the best team in the league on the road and better on the road than they were <laughs> at home um, they pride themselves on and their own labeling being the mentality monsters who are willing to go in anywhere and beat any team on their own terms. So they certainly think of themselves as a team that is more than up to that sort of challenge. Um, I will say that they've been a little bit more feeble in their away games this year. I'm thinking about like, there was a Sunday afternoon game at Loudoun United where they just looked so off the pace, so unready to go uh, and play that game. They've been a little bit feeble when they were at Louisville the other week. So it was a strength of theirs last year and Mm -hmm. maybe the magic is gone. Maybe they were just lucky in 2022, but I do think that is something that could uh, tilt the tables in this one. Mm -hmm. And then going to the big picture, um, I I just counted them as you were talking, but I I believe there are 12 uh, USL championship versus major league soccer matchups in this round of the cup. What would be a success for USL? Obviously, the expectations in each individual game are, are that the Major League Soccer team wins. Uh, we have historically seen that is not the case. So in, in 12 matchups, what do you think uh, USL championship fans would be um, happy or excited about in terms of number of victories? Yeah, this round is always a little bit weird yeah. just because you'll have an MLS team that sends out the deep end of their bench mm-hmm. or a USL team that treats it like it's their own title game and goes as hard as they possibly can. I feel like four or five wins would be more than enough for a USL fan to be happy. I think if you only end up with like two, that would be a disappointment. Mm -hmm. If it's somewhere in between there, but most of these games are very competitive, you get some extra time at sorts of results. No one's going to be displeased. 
But like I said, there is certainly a degree of randomness to this thing. All right. Well, our guest has been John Morsey. John, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your work. Yeah, we are uh, live every Tuesday with the USL show, and that's in the podcast feeds everywhere. Uh, I'm writing for Backheeled as well. We do some great work with Major League Soccer and the NWUSL, and I'm there weekly with a four to 5,000 word column on the week <laughs> that was in the USL, if you are into that. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Tim, John, always, you know, great with his insight, generous with his his thoughts. His first time on this show, though, what did you take away from the conversation? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me how many players San Antonio FC has that are going to sound familiar to Nashville FC fans, whether they are USL nerds or whether they are just MLS nerds. Um, Eric Hurtado is a guy that you don't need to have a ton of USL championship knowledge to recognize. This is a dude who has been in Major League Soccer for several years. So uh, he's one that, um, you know, John John seems to think that that they are coming to Geodis Park to put their best players on the pitch. And Hurtado is a guy who's been a late game sub, he mentioned. But these guys are going to empty the chambers against Nashville SC. They, they took it a little bit easier against uh, Phoenix Rising at the weekend. And I think um, they did it for that specific purpose. Mm-hmm. It's a good San Antonio team. It's a long season for them to make up points in the table uh, if they, you know, rotate a little too heavily and, and lose some points they, they can go for it and sacramento a great object lesson as recently as last year that good usl teams can make runs in this tournament uh certainly want to be aware of uh of san antonio uh, and thanks to john by the way again for for his time uh one bit of of great news that we have saturday is as we mentioned it's a day game 12 30 which means ml rose brunch is going to be running they run until 2 p.m so you can get in when they open and enjoy some brunch, Tim. And uh, there's something I got to try, uh, really. <laughs> it, I mean, all this stuff looks good. But, you know, you want the breakfast version of their loaded waffle fries? I think you got it here with the crispy loaded hash browns. Cheddar and jack cheese, naturally cured bacon, tomatoes, green onions, and a sunny side up egg playing the role, I guess, of what the ranch dressing would be doing on the fries. Uh, otherwise, or maybe sour cream. I mean, that looks, that's just dynamite, right? Like, can you beat a good hash brown at its best? A hash brown at its best. Is there any beating that? Uh, I don't know, man. I like the, <laughs> I like the uh, the the traditional uh, Carolina sweets because of the the sweet potato waffle fries. I know you've said you're not as much of a sweet potato guy as I, but um, I'm actually really really intrigued by the Graceland waffle. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can guess that it's themed like an Elvis sandwich based on the name. Uh, I absolutely love bananas and peanut butter, so that's that's one that. Um, Folks, pull up mlrose.com slash food hyphen drink slash uh, brunch. You got to take a, a look at this picture. <laughs> it, this thing looks yeah. ridiculous. I just I'm, could, I'm yeah. ready for it. It looks great. I, peanut butter banana for me. Eh, but adding bacon Get to that as they do. as they, well, You need some crunch, right? Like the bacon and obviously the savory element of that too. That does look unbelievable. And Cinnamon roll waffle, by the way, looks big enough that it could. It's like the size of Jodas Park. It's a, it's a smaller <laughs> scale, like version of a. You can share it with your thirty thousand closest friends. Just hollow out the middle, you know. Put some <laughs> put some fr- some hash some gold hash browns on the supporter side. You've got yourself a replica. It looks amazing. Uh, suffice it to say, that's going to be the place to be. Get there, of course, right as they open, and you'll have plenty of time to have a good brunch and make it over with your 14-minute and 36-second walk, right, Tim, I think? No, 1420. 1420. Now, if you've had yeah. a waffle 
maybe make it 15 20 allow yourself a little more time. no it gives you energy did you uh, know that energy comes from food the food that you eat well, yeah okay some of the food that you eat some of it <laughs> makes you want to sleep uh but it is delicious regardless of the effect that it has on you energy in the moment the crash once you get in but once you get in the stadium you got the adrenaline from the game to help you so drop by eighth avenue and uh, make sure you you take care of that brunch opportunity brunch will be over by the time the game is done but of course burgers beers will be flowing the burgers won't be flowing that'd be kind of weird uh let's get into the mailbag now and logan reached out we also had a question a few weeks ago about the ideal starting 11 for this u.s open cup match understanding there's going to be fairly heavy rotation for this team as there should be so tim i want you to bring me your ideal 11 if you're gary smith how do you line this team up against san antonio i don't know if ideal is is the word <laughs> i would use it maybe projected yeah. uh, i think elliot panico starts between the pipes I think along the back line, I think you see a, a back five just because it's a it's a cup match. Nashville's not going to want to get beaten. Taylor Washington, Lawrence Wyke, Jack Mayer, Josh Bauer, Alex Mwil uh, at right wing back, mm-hmm. uh, a triple triple pivot, a, a very defensive three man midfield. Uh, Brian Anunga, Jan Gregus, maybe as the slightly more creator mm-hmm. style in the middle there, and Ani Balgadoy up top. Ethan Zubak as your as your typical striker and Fafa Pico as as kind of the false nine or the uh the second striker who can mm-hmm. run off of him a little bit and and stretch the back line a little bit. It's not sexy, but it could be really effective for sure. I mean, I don't think you have a lot of speed in that lineup. It's a very solid group. Probably lets Taylor and Alex get up pretty high along the wings to to account for your width there. I I like that. I like your striker pairing better than mine actually. Now that I look at your at your lineup, um, I, I agree with Elliot being in goal. I see the logic behind a, a three slash five in the back there. I, I wonder if they just go with continuity and stick with a, a four, four, two, just for the sake of familiarity there, especially with um, Josh Bauer rotating it, which I think will happen for, for Walker. I think it's uh, Bauer and Mayer and in, uh, in the back. I can understand though, adding a third center back and adding a white to, you know, decrease the, in, the, the load on any individual in that. So again, I see your logic there. I think Washington and I like Shaq Moore to stay in. He's proven he's got, great legs he can he can get up and, and use that width and team up with um with ta- attackers who have not seen as much time uh, i think jacob schaffelberg could be a, an option to start here he, you know, he didn't start this past weekend and i wonder if that was with an eye toward you know really exploiting uh, a team that's not going to have as much speed to keep up with what he does along the flank um i think luke hawkinson maybe gets an opportunity too just because alex wheel started on the weekend otherwise i'd say yeah, that's alex. i didn't think of luke that would have been a, that would have been a good one for for one of multiple positions in my lineup here but isn't that the problem like we're not thinking of luke right now it's not just a you yeah. thing like he's he's kind of not been as much of a factor and we i think aren't, he we aren't deserves darth vader thinking of luke Oh, there you go. Editor, yeah. editor, please cut that out. <laughs> well, Hawkinson will hopefully look at the San Antonio back line and say, I am your father. That's as part of the best Star Wars <laughs> as I get. Um, I like I like Anuga and, and Gregush being in there as, as a six eight tandem there. Gregush, mm-hmm. he I think he deserves a chance to get in there and, and mix it up now in a lower risk setting. He's had some time to gel with the team. And then my pairing up top with Sapong and Zubak, I think CJ needs to see the ball hit the back of the net. I don't care if it's against you know, LAFC or if it's against Las Vegas lights or if it's against a set of lights that are residing in Las Vegas, he needs like he needs to score. And I think it's an opportunity mm-hmm. to come off the mark. I put him with Ethan, Ethan Zubak. Those are two kind of similar players in a lot of ways. So maybe that's not the way it goes. I wouldn't mind seeing Pico come in there now that you've you've mentioned that probably for for Zubak. I want Sapong and Pico. Um, but I, I, I do like that you have Sapong in there because getting him off the mark is a priority, not just for. 
this match, but to to get him going in the regular season too. And again, there he didn't start against LAFC, so you wonder if that's been the plan was to to put him in to this one. Um, so we we agree on Panico, we agree on on a lot of these. Mauer, uh, Mayor Bauer, Washington, Gregush, Anunga, uh, Zubak. Some some similarities there. Should be interesting to follow what Nashville looks to do tactically and and who they employ. And uh, down the road, keep on winning. Maybe you get a chance to work some Huntsville players in as well, at least in on the bench. Uh, to give them some some experience. Um, Dick Strong, thought, where does Teal Bunbury's assist rank on the beauty scale? One to ten. How do you give it anything but a ten, Tim? Yeah, yeah it's ten. Ten. Tens across the board. It's tens <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> he was all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> on his on his stomach. No, it was lovely. Around. And it's it's the sort of play that Nashville Nashville hasn't had that many like lucky moments like yeah, that this no. year. And maybe that sort of thing kind of gets the team going as well. I loved it. And, and but also, way, but also, but also he like Scorpion kicked it from his stomach. <laughs> it was amazing. It was, it was exactly where you would hope and expect Teal Bunbury to be too. Like the veteran who's not going to be hitting the bicycle kick from 17 yards out, but he's going to be in the mix. And uh, you know, it looked lucky. It was lucky, but it was also him putting himself in that position to be in the right place at the right time. And, well, it worked out. Uh, it's kind of Mark Sanchez had the butt fumble. It's kind of the butt assist, I guess. Uh, <laughs> worked. Totally worked. Uh, Kevin Morrison, for all of us that take these results and read way too much into them, what's a realistic way we should be feeling about this team right now? Help, he says in all caps with three exclamation points. I don't, I don't blame supporters, especially right after a match, for saying that was a great game or that was a terrible game without a lot in between. We love to try to even out the roller coaster a little bit. Because it's a long season and riding at the front of the roller coaster, you get the better views that way, but it makes the peaks and valleys appear bigger than they are. I suggest a nice middle seat right in the heart of the roller coaster where you're, you know, a little more uh, shielded from the highs and the lows. I think, Tim, we've seen some consistency from this team. They're not consistently great. They're not consistently bad. This feels to me like a sixth place team if it stays healthy and if it isn't upgraded. But if we see Randall Leal come in and provide an upgrade internally, you see Hani Mukhtar get hotter, you see an addition either in the next few hours as we talk or more likely this summer, it's okay to feel frustrated about this team, but also I don't think anybody should feel hopeless. And if anybody does, take a step back further to the back of the roller coaster and, and don't ride those peaks and valleys so high. And then you get the you get the like whiplash being in the last car as well. Yeah, don't do that either. You get, you get whipped side to side. So <laughs> no, no, it's it's absolutely fair to feel lukewarm or, or even slightly negative about this team um, based on what they have done so far through nine games. What they will do in the next twenty five, I would trend a little bit towards optimism. Nashville sits sixth. That's still a playoff spot, and that's despite a few different fluky negatives, including missing Randall Leal for almost the entire year, Anibal Godoy for a couple games. Um, you know, Hani Mukhtar limited playing time in the first couple games of the year. Walker Zimmerman banged up a little bit on international duty, having to come out of the weekend's game after 55 minutes. You can see that reinforcements would make a ton of sense. It would be awesome if they happened in the next few minutes so that, that we're still recording this podcast when they do. <laughs> but, um, you know, if this team was at full strength with the players that are on the roster now, I think it would be a, a better looking team, even if the record wouldn't be that different. The issue is just that there's not a ton of depth here. There have been injury issues. When Randall Leal comes back, the depth is going to look very different when Walker Zimmerman um, is is back. And I, I would imagine he's not going to be out for any sort of extended period of time. Yeah. It, was, it was mostly precautionary on Saturday evening. 
but this is a team that needs those guys to be on the pitch basically every healthy minute. And you would love to see more depth, but for now, uh, lukewarm, but optimism for the future. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. And by the way, if there is a significant addition made to this team after we record this, we'll uh, do what we can to get on and give you something uh, a little later in the week. Just a little bonus. I'll give you a little monologue just by myself. There you go. (laughs) John Mueller, how would you rank these three events this week in order of importance? The transfer window closing, which it does at midnight, end of day Monday. Uh, U.S. Open Cup game against San Antonio, of course, and MLS home game versus Atlanta. John Mueller says, I have a guess. But I'm curious as to what y'all think. What do you think John's guess is? What do you think he believes will will we will say is the most important? Uh, Atlanta Open Cup transfer window. I think he's gonna. I think he expects us to say transfer window is most important. No, because I'm always such a skeptic on these things. And again, uh, the transfer window will be closed by the time anyone listens to the podcast. If there's a move, it obviously jumps up. <laughs> you know, if, if Nashville SC announces Lionel Messi uh, this evening, <laughs> I think that makes the transfer window more important. But I have yeah. I have the Open Cup first, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've said uh, in preseason and I've said in the time since that I think any sort of trophy, any sort of hardware for this team is important. Um, Atlanta, yes, it's a rivalry game, but it's, it's also one of a couple games against them uh, in the regular season. It's one of 34 regular season games. Obviously, this is a team that is in need of, of some positive momentum for, you know, referring <laughs> to, just to some of the questions that have already been asked in this episode. But I do think advancing in the U.S. Open Cup and kind of being able to control your own destiny still for a trophy, even well before the end of the regular season, is something that really helps this team. And then, of course, um, if they don't sign anybody in the transfer window, it obviously becomes the least important. Uh, if, if and when they do later this evening, it, that's not going to be the case yeah i i think longer term the u.s open cup certainly has value to this team but i think they premier league this one i think they they put in you know a, a reduced lineup and hope they can just get through but it. they but they can do they can do that and still win oh they can absolutely absolutely yeah. they can but i think it makes it somewhat less important now and i think yeah. if you get through this match then you're loading up for the for the final rounds of this and trying to go further than you did uh, in the quarterfinals a year ago for that reason I think the transfer window, again, this is a potential versus two certains, right? But I, I think I think it is the most important uh, if Nashville finds somebody who can be in the mix. I think I think you know you're transforming a season there potentially by adding somebody versus transforming, you know, a, a, a potential cup run or one match of 34. But I see the point, right? Like I, I agree with you. Whoever they bring in is not going to be a a you know a dp who's going to transform this team's fortunes but they are reinforcing they are they are contributing more to the long-term story of this season than one game against atlanta or even a u.s open cup match against a second tier team so for that reason i put transfer window first with the asterisk that yeah look, i understand that messi's not walking through that door uh, olivier Giroud, to use our favorite name this year is not coming in uh but i i do think this team needs something they need something in the attack and if they can add that something it could help them transform their fortunes yeah, and one important thing to keep in mind is that Nashville did trade for an international slot. Uh, they wouldn't do it if they didn't have a move in the works lined up. I don't know if things have fallen through or if they are just trying to work to get it over the line by tonight. But depending on who that international slot was traded in order to sign, um, yeah, it could it could be pretty important. But for now, I think um, for the reasons that I that I kind of said um, in response to the to the previous question to um, Kevin is is that you know, this, this team has upside even without more signings, more signings can obviously make it better, 
But um, yeah, I, for that reason, I think the games themselves have got to be uh, more important than the transfer window, unless unless it is a, a super high profile guy coming in. Do you lend any credence to any discussion that's happened around Adam Buxa in this team? If not now, then in the summer. Um, and, and, and by the way, this discussion has not been reports indicate yada, yada, yada. It's been Taylor Twelman basically saying he'll be shocked if Buxa is not in MLS by the summer and us understanding the kind of fit he'd be on this team. I mean, do yeah. you think he would be an option for this team? He certainly would be a tactical fit. Yeah, I, re- I really like Buxa. Yeah, the tactical fit is is fairly precise. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it depends. Unfortunately, it depends on the money right now because Ake Loba is still occupying a designated player slot. And um, now that he's injured, is the is the uh, purchase option going to be exercised by Mazatlan to, to, to pick him up? There are there are a lot of um, machinations with the with the salary cap that need to be worked out to land a player of, of Buxa's caliber, and I think that who knows that could be that could be why it's, uh, no at at recording time no announcement has been made on on a change uh, to the to the roster to a new signing. Buxa truly great in his uh, last couple of years in MLS after a slow start, sixteen goals in thirty one games for New England. In that supporter shield run in 21, seven and 10 before moving on to uh, to France, where he's not found the kind of uh, fruitful uh, career that he, I think, had, had hoped. So, again, we're not reporting anything there, but but just, you know, speculating based on a link is what that could mean for this team. And uh, it will be interesting to see what Nashville does. We'll be following it closely and we'll be back with you and go to clubcountryusa.com later this week and, and on Twitter, of course, as well for uh, for coverage of uh, transfer deadline and and that i guess kind of hits the next question we got from nashville sc stats you know why did we acquire the international spot unless we were making a signing getting a head start in the summer do you think something fell through i think we can both say let's not let's wait until midnight to say anything fell through. <laughs> right there's intention here the timing of it look if they're waiting until summer they wouldn't have given up the gam now right exactly yeah that's what that's uh why i thought it was important to answer this one is uh, you don't you don't need to get the spot now if you if you want it in the summer. Uh, and if you don't pick it up until the summer, it, it is cheaper because it only uh, covers half of the year. Essentially, yep. you're getting a half year's international slot. So I, the expectation, the the expectation from Nashville SC's end has been to to sign somebody. Um, we don't know who I you know, we've kept in touch with our good friend, Tom Bogert. Congratulations on the new gig at The Athletic. Yeah. Thomas Bogert. Tom, it's now Thomas, by the way, now that he's at, at The Athletic. But um, and you know, no, no rumblings from even from Tom. And, and if, if, if you and I haven't heard anything and Tom hasn't heard anything, it is being kept extremely close to the vest. But what we can say is, uh, especially somebody who is as shrewd with how he operates as Mike Jacobs in terms of making sure he uses all of the roster mechanisms uh, to their maximum, he would not have picked up the international slot if there was not an intention to use it. And so you can, you can say that, that it will be used or that it was going to be used and something fell through, but at this stage, still nothing in terms of rumblings of, of who it is for. And again, if you're listening to this after the fact, yeah, you're listening to this, you're like, you idiots, you didn't, you didn't know they were going <laughs> to sign Luis Suarez. How did, how did you guys not? Suarez to Nashville. Hashtag. Uh, Louis Van Yall, still is that is that still a famous guy? I don't follow <laughs> soccer that much. Does he st- even still play? I honestly don't. Where is Luis Suarez? He's somewhere. He's probably like in Turkey now or something. He's in one of those like resting places after uh, resting places. That sounds darker than I meant it to be. <laughs> he's still got some bite to him. Oh, he plays for Grêmio in I assume Syria. Uh, Thank you for the information, but you you yep. ignored the pun or you didn't hear it. I didn't hear it because he's, he's still got some busy. bite to him. Oh, I, oh. 
Yes. Just ask Giorgio Keeling. He bites people. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Louis Van, Louis Vanyal, honest question. What does Alex Wheel bring to this team besides pressing late in games? Am I missing something he's doing off the ball? He felt like a liability all game on Saturday. Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily a late in games deal because he's the one guy on this roster who can reliably bring that sort of energy for 90 minutes. Um, that said, uh, it's not a mystery that he's technically limited. Um, players' defensive acumen counts too. Uh, you'd love to have a player who can do both. You'd love to have a, a guy who has Alex and Wheel's defensive abilities but is is better with the ball at his feet. If you don't have that, it doesn't suddenly mean that he doesn't have the defensive side of it, though. That is what he brings to this team is defensive mm-hmm. bite from a position where a lot of opponents aren't necessarily expecting it. Um, I, I've still been surprised that he has extremely infrequently played as one of the holding midfielders because that seems like a good fit for his defensive yeah. side of things. Um, and it minimizes some of his his technical deficiencies in the final third. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a very good defensive player who you can play in wing back central defensive midfield winger. Um, you can play him as a pressing 10. It's already happened once this year. This is a guy that can do a bunch of different things. And that versatility is, is valued, even if it's not quite as, as fun for fans as a guy who's, yeah. who's going to, to be able to dribble opponents and then take very precise shots. Fair. And I think of all the positions that he can play a shuttler in a diamond, like we saw is, is the perfect position for him with this team. He can stay narrower. doesn't have to get wide. And his job is hand-to-hand combat. I think I used that phrase last week about him too. It's it's winning those 50-50s. It's being tough and rigid in the middle when Nashville's playing narrow. He does that well. He's going to do that well at the expense of getting forward when he's in a role where that's the job description, is to win the ball and just try to work it forward uh, just a little bit. But uh, I would agree he's he's technically lacking sometimes in, in the finish in the 18, but um, he's going to keep getting, getting starts and minutes for this team where he can because uh, he adds so much steeliness especially when you have somebody like a layout on the other side of the equation or or wings he can flow it out to where you're not relying on alex to to create necessarily in the final third uh, jared siemens is gregush not a factor to start i don't know how good he is but surely he could not turn the ball over more than dax says jared and, and logan responds to that logan elliott good friend answering the mailbag for us and then we'll this give is the our, logan our episode thoughts. it is indeed uh, at the start of the season, Logan says, I was starting to question whether Dak still had it, but I thought the last few appearances were full of quality for what it's worth. I know he made the turnover that led to the LFC, LAFC goal, but there were a lot of other defensive issues. Logan, I agree. I think, again, Dax was playing in his ideal spot there in the back, picking passes, protecting the back line. But about the Gregoosh piece of it, this is this guy was a DP. He's played at 10, the 10. Like, is he... He dropped off that much. Is it just integrating into the squad? Why has he not gotten the time that we might have expected when he was signed? Yeah, I mean, he's just he's not to the level of a full time starter in this league right now. He obviously provides some very different things than any of Nashville's other defensive midfielders can provide. He's a much more attack minded player, um, not necessarily more uh, able to hit hit shots or or even hit some passes. But he has the the kind of first instinct to play a, a positive ball to to initiate offense rather than to ensure that the ball isn't immediately turned back over um he, he's a good player but uh, i think when you look at the depth that nashville has in that position he's not as he's not as ready to be in that spot as dax and and 
uh, as for Dax, he he did have the crucial one Saturday, but I thought it was his cleanest game in a long time. And I I pulled up his stats on on FB Ref, and I have closed the tab, so I'm not going to give you any of the of the details of it. But his giveaway numbers are not very high. Um, they had been um for for a lot of last year, but he's cleaned that up a little bit, going through a slump. And yes, as we've as we've already talked about Dax, he's he's not a spring chicken anymore, and he maybe doesn't have. 100% execution from a physical standpoint anymore, but what he provides emotionally, tactically to this team are, are two aspects that, that, you know, yes, he can be, he can be <laughs> instrumental in a very bad play, but on um, the positive is it's similar to, it's kind of a, similar to the, to the answer that I gave him wheel. The bad parts don't, don't erase the good parts. You take every piece that you get from the player and, and you, you get the whole guy. You don't just get, get to pick and choose which characteristics you want. But if you had Dax with Alex's motor, which mm. is just, if you had Dax 10 years ago, right? <laughs> what a player that would be. What a player it would be picking passes and picking pockets. Uh, Carlos Whitaker has performed mm. at the white house. He's written best-selling books. And now he has submitted a question to the club and country mailbag. Congrats Finally, the greatest honor of greatest his greatest accomplishment yet. <laughs> He says the structuring of St. Louis's expansion roster versus Nashville's expansion roster. Why do you think St. Louis has been successful so quickly? Just keep in mind that St. Louis's roster build was universally panned in preseason. Everybody thought this team was going to be terrible. They have obviously uh, overperformed that. I would, but I just I wouldn't concentrate on their build as any sort of model. Um, they also came into the league in a very different way than Nashville did. They had a year where they could put designated players on MLS Next Pro contracts. Roman Berkey played in MLS Next Pro last mm-hmm. year. Um, they had basically uh, probably two thirds of their of their first choice squad playing in MLS Next Pro last year. So the way that they were able to build that chemistry is just something that Nashville didn't do because Nashville was fielding a team in a different league and the players that Nashville had access to um, only, only four of them were good enough to move up to, to major league soccer. Yeah. Uh, they keep, they keep proving me wrong, but St. Louis is such a paper tiger at this point in the year. <laughs> They've been ludicrously lucky. They are going to be a playoff team. They're absolutely going to make the playoffs unless they fall off even harder than, than it seems like they should. But I wouldn't say because they are, you know, this undefeated or nearly undefeated team near the top of the table that they are suddenly some sort of spectacular team. They're they're a good major league soccer team, but but Nashville is a good major league soccer team in its initial year too, and it didn't have some of the advantages that St. Louis had. Yeah, like if 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 Tim Parker was was a guy who just teams are just trying to unload while paying half of his salary when Nashville was coming into the league. It'd be a different story in terms of what uh what Nashville was was able to do because whew, would they have loved Tim Parker four years ago. <laughs> right. The the best thing I can say about St. Louis that maybe simplifies this conversation is they know who they are. They came yeah. out of the gates with a firm sense of identity and that's going to raise your floor at the outset, even yeah. if it does nothing for your ceiling. Um so they, they came out, they pressed, they were tough. And that pressing, I've seen Red Bulls do it for years. And Red Bulls has made the playoffs, you know, every year since when? Like, a, like 10, 11, like, like forever. May not happen this year. Uh, but they've, they've, they've proven that, that, you know, it's a huge talent equalizer to be able to press effectively. They've not just been Red Bulls. They've also had a little more nuance to their game. But they have personnel that fit what they want to do. For me, it's a sense of identity that's worked so well for them. And by definition, an expansion team is going to have a hard time, any expansion team, finding a sense of identity right away until you kind of know how your personnel play together. I thought they built well for the personnel and for the tactics that they want to have. 
and it's been to their benefit. I also don't think they're going to win MLS Cup or be a contender for Supporters Shield either. The floor is higher now. The ceiling maybe just a little higher than we thought, but not not through the roof. Yeah, and and you mentioned you yeah. mentioned this this Red Bull style. Uh, man, should Red Bull have just kept Bradley Carnell instead of hiring <laughs> Gerhard Struber? I say yes. I mean, for on and off the pitch reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. We haven't yeah. talked about the sham apology, quote unquote apology that he put out after the. the... Oh, yeah, that, that was rough after his own. Yeah, we don't need to get into it, but his, you can see the video of his own players coming up to him um, during the Dante Van Zier racism incident, which um, Van Zier has been rightfully suspended for. And it, Red Bull's own players begging, begging Struber to sub him out and Struber refusing it was a pretty rough look for him. And then his apology was uh, essentially a non-apology. No, so. as, as a PR practitioner, I'm not letting that out the door. Yeah. That statement yeah. out the door without major, major touch-ups, but they did. They did. Uh, onto the launch pad now quickly as we close things out. What a wild one for Huntsville. They go up 2-0 on Miami early in that match. A couple of rapid goals there in the 30th and a little bit after and then they give up two by halftime. They lose four three. This this team is fun. <laughs> what, yeah, they, they they play an exciting brand. That's for they, sure. They do. Um, what do you, what have you seen? What do you see in this one that um, that that matters, or is it just look prospects being prospects, and you're going to have these happen? Uh, it matters because you don't want guys to to feel like they fit into a culture of not winning. But I don't think it's something that's really going to to damn these guys for the the futures of their career. I feel I feel for Jack Collison, who has um, so many times said, "Okay, yeah, we were so close. We got the draw and we got the we got the victory in the in the shootout afterwards." But this team is still looking for a regulation win. It it will come. I think they are um, they're building, um, and it's not linear for sure. <laughs> but it's it's something that that is coming for them. They're, they're scoring goals. They're giving themselves yeah. a chance right now, sitting on four points. That's two PK shootout wins to three losses. So no actual regulation wins, but uh, you can see the potential building there. And uh, Gary Smith talking uh, today in advance of us open cup saying that, you know, he would, he would like to be able to call some Huntsville players up to at least be on the bench and, you know, for future matches for leagues cup. And who knows, maybe we even see that on, uh, on Wednesday, uh, closing things out. Any uh, content recommendations for you? I do not have any this week. I probably should have thought of some, but you know, I'm mailing this uh, this final section. <laughs> I got you covered. Then um, soccer as content. Soccer is the ultimate content for those who host a soccer podcast. It's time to pay attention to the promotion and relegation battles uh, across the continent. I love ha, getting into the not for our beloved Hammers. At least not without a couple bad weeks on the way. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really cursing yourself now to say you're here. But West Ham currently six points clear. You think they're going to be safe. I don't want to talk about the Premier League if I can help it after Arsenal. We might just be losing the title uh, right in front of our eyes. Uh, but uh, as we speak now, Luton and Middlesbrough in a really, really big one. Third versus fourth, both of whom are going to be through to the playoff no matter what. If you if you enjoyed, as I did, the Sunderland Until I Die documentary, um, especially the Justin Davis mention, I know you're about to mention, uh, then uh, they're they're right in the scrap right now as well. Of course, Wrexham promoted. Uh, so don't tell my wife because she's really into that, and that just ruins season two. Spoilers! I, I told I told my wife yesterday <laughs> at the dinner table. Hey, you want some spoilers for next season of Wrexham show? And I think the only thing that would spoil uh, the next year of Wrexham for my wife is if Ryan Reynolds was not in. Um, otherwise, <laughs> she's going to be fine. Um, yeah. Anyway, 
uh, that's that's my recommendation. Pay attention to these promotion relegation battles. It's a lot of fun. I, I prefer the championship in the final two weeks and the championship playoff to the UEFA Champions League semis and finals. Maybe it's because Arsenal's not in the mix and <laughs> the latter, but I love I love <laughs> that, man. And I feel like those who love MLS are kind of similar uh, subscribers to that kind of subculture deal, right? Like you go a little, little lower than the best and you find the real gems. And I think certainly it's good sicko content. Uh, anything and else you, you mentioned you mentioned that that Luton town um Middlesbrough match that is that is currently on on later whatever you said that's a a matchup of of Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen that's right some two two depth USMNT keepers if anybody needs a hook to go back in time to yesterday at the time <laughs> you're listening to this and watch that match yep and uh, Horvath has conceded it's half time ah. Middlesbrough lead I know that's ah. The nugget you were all waiting for at the end of the show. Thanks for <laughs> hanging on till that non-update update. update. Uh, again, more to come on clubcountryusa.com this week as the transfer market closes. If and when Nashville does sign somebody to that international slot, Tim's going to have the coverage. Thanks to ML Rose for tremendous burgers and chicken sandwiches. Get some brunch there before the match on Saturday. Thanks to Moon Taxi, as always, for the jams. Make sure you go on, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about us, give us each follow on Twitter, and uh, thanks to Braden Gall and the 440 Sports Network, even if they did bring my brother on lamestream last week to ask him why he took my job as uh, a <laughs> National play-by-play guy. It actually was a really good interview. That'll be my secondary content recommendation. All right, guys. Have a good week. <laughs>